Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Welcome back, boys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Was Santa good to you? No. Are you sure? Because I think you have a puppy now. Who supplied the puppy? Santa. Santa. (laughs) Mika and Hank, Santa brought the puppy. So, Brad, you have a newest member of your household. Yes. And her name is? Roxy. And is she trouble already? She's, for an eight-week-old puppy, really good. We got lucky so far. You You know what they say about people and their pets? The pets always look like their owner. (laughs) (laughs) Roxy is a boxer mastiff mix. (laughs) So that's accurate. Anyhow, uh, we hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. This is the last episode of 2022. That went fast. Uh, And what a gift. What a late, uh, what a fantastic late Christmas gift from the Detroit Red Wings. It was after one period. I was telling you guys this before we hit record. It was after one period. It was already 4 nothing, And I said to Mel, hey, doesn't look like this game is going to need a lot of coverage after the final horn goes. Uh, I'd imagine that's going to wrap up pretty quickly. And we have time to, you know, uh, watch Glass Onion or or I got us a, a nice um, hand-carved wood chessboard for Christmas. And I was like, maybe we can uh, uh, play some chess against each other. Shouldn't have to wait too long after that. Barring something insane happening. Lo and behold, <laughs> what an insane game. And honestly, if you could pick one game that warranted Jake Wallman grittying on an opponent's ice in their barn, it was after coming back from 4 nothing down against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Night and day, that team from the first period for uh, compared to the rest of the game. Given how the rest of 2022 went for... For the most part, and obviously this includes the end of last season, we as fans really provide nothing, but we deserved that. Oh, we, absolutely. We, need, we needed that. Especially after, you know, I, I almost felt silly. Like the four goals in the first period, I immediately started thinking back to, you know, oh, this was a statement win against Tampa Bay. And yeah, they took advantage of a a bad Brian Elliott game, but, you know, it was important that they came back and went. Uh, came back to win that game, and and that means a lot going into the break, and then immediately four goals against in that first period, and I was like, oh, God, I feel so stupid. This next episode yeah. episode is going to be shameful. We have just bipolar episodes, basically. We got <laughs> we got too high and too low, <laughs> and we can't make up our minds. Well, neither can the team, but apparently they did. But uh, we're going to get into all that, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings, the world of the NHL, and wrapping up 2022 heading into the new year. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be talking about that monstrous 4 nothing uh, comeback that the Detroit Red Wings had over the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, capped off by Jake Wallman's OT winner and subsequent gritty. We'll also be talking about individual performances in that game. Uh, Helberg came in and was perfect in relief. Sherratt had himself a really good game uh, and a lot of other, I think, notable Red Wings performances. Uh, we have updates on Jacob Verona and his conditioning stint down in Grand Rapids. And the Red Wings have some lineup decisions to be made. Uh, coming into the new year, Fabry's going to come back. Verona's going to come back. Zadina and others are going to come back. And what is Derek Lalone going to do? Uh, and then we will get into uh, some other Red Wings news as well as the world of the NHL before overtime. Before that, I want to remind you about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. That is Saturday, April 8th, 2023, and that is a game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Winged Wheel Podcast Night is a partnered event between the Detroit Red Wings and the Winged Wheel Podcast where uh, we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast prior to the game. We've done it at Little Caesars Arena prior uh, in, in, for previous events, and we've actually moved to Hockey Town Cafe uh, for the last event and this next one coming up because there are so many of you coming out, uh, which is just right, you know, practically next door to the arena. Uh, there is going to be a merch, giveaways, Q&A, prizes, things like that. Special guests have included Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. We have some more in store for you uh, this upcoming uh, event that we won't spoil for you quite yet. Uh, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets, not only to that pregame episode, but also the actual Red Wings game itself. 
uh, you get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount. And a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold goes to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, which is the whole reason we're, we're putting this together is to support them. You'll be seated in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections with other fans and listeners. We have the entire gondola if you want the same view that Ken and Mick have. We have Lower Bowl. We have Upper Bowl. Uh, be sure to get your tickets soon. Uh, we already have 200 sold. So uh, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP if you want to get your tickets. Okay, we don't usually like to record uh, between games, but this episode is recording just before the Buffalo game and uh, after the uh, uh, Pittsburgh game last night. So let's talk about that Pittsburgh game. I was pretty concerned after the first period, and, and you know, let's call a spade a spade. That was one of the worst periods of hockey Detroit has played all year. 4 nothing. It was within, I think, uh, a couple minutes again where, the, where Detroit gave up a goal. Ronick was getting walked. Jake Wallman was getting walked. Everyone looked terrible. Billy Huso came out after the first period absolutely atrocious. And it was, <laughs> the memes were already coming out. It was, oh God, is this what it's going to be like for the rest of the season? The Red Wings are in some trouble for nothing. I was watching that game alone in the living room with my puppy because Crystal was already asleep. The, the kids were in bed. And that period was so bad, I looked over and Roxy was sleeping, and I'm glad she didn't have to witness that. <laughs> At eight weeks old, you don't deserve to see that. You don't, you, you shouldn't have to see that. And, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just take her for a walk. Maybe I won't bother with these last two periods, kind of keep an eye on it. Yeah, I, it's hard to describe what went wrong in that first period, because everything went wrong. The only explanation I had was this team looks so bad and so disjointed in so many different ways. It's like a post-break hangover. They had a little bit of an extended hangover because of the delayed Ottawa game, so that came up like, you know, another day and a half. Uh, and they were just out of sorts. You would hope that that wouldn't be the case, but at the same time, you would hope that that would be the case because then that is that means it's not some massive issue. Start the second period, Hellberg is in net. Uh, he was backing Huso up. Ned obviously was uh, was not dressed. Um, and honestly, from the second period onwards, the Detroit Red Wings looked like a completely different team. Just absolutely dominated play for most of the next 40 minutes plus overtime. It was some of the best hockey I've seen Detroit play all year. Sustained pressure, sustained puck control. They had Pittsburgh on their heels. They were disrupting play, you know, scoring power play goals. And it wasn't, you know, four goals in the second period. They had to come back with uh, late in the third as well to to kind of put that together. Really, the Red Wings had the biggest turnaround I've seen them make within a game all season. And I just want to know who said what in that intermission to cause that. Because well, whatever it was, write it down, record it, and play it every time the Red Wings need a wake-up call. There probably was some swearing. A little bit. It's hockey. Wouldn't Wouldn't make it on the podcast. No. Oh God, no! We're we're completely, you know, above board and clean on here. That's right. I don't know whether it was Derek Malone. I would imagine, you know, guys like Larkin, Perron, others in the room stepped up, but that team woke up, and it was good because it means that the first period performance shouldn't be repeated too often. If you can snap out of it that quickly, it means you couldn't have. You should be able to start a game without doing that to start. But the way that team kind of came together starting with Dylan Larkin's goal uh, and moving on from Valeno to Ber- to Berggren to Perron and eventually Wallman's OT winner. Like, it was entering the third period, and I actually thought, this team has a chance to win from 4 nothing down. And that would be insane to say about these Detroit Red Wings this season. I saw a lot of tweets last night after that game that probably correctly pointed out, if this was last year's team, it's probably 11-2 again. Yeah. It, that game goes off the rails. It, it's a complete meltdown. And we're sitting here and spending half this episode talking about Connor Bedard's seven points against Germany. Well, you, I was honestly close. Yeah. I was honestly close to like this episode is going to be talking about prospects more, more than not. And then, you know, when you're in a hole like that, you'll hear coaches preach a lot, just one goal, one shift at a time. And, you know, when you're in a hole, that big players kind of brush it off. And a lot of people will go, Come on, really? But that game was kind of the definition of it. They didn't have a flurry of goals to cue the comeback. They didn't have 
you know, three or four shifts that were like the standout part of the comeback where they just got hot in these windows and, you know, bang, 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 a la San Jose against Vegas, the game's tied. They chipped away, they chipped away, they controlled play, they were dominating one shift right after the other, they were making one good play right after the other. Even though there was a long time left in the game, it felt like there was urgency every time they stepped on the ice, for the most part. Obviously, nobody's, no, not 100% of shifts are going to be perfect. So yeah, you get the one goal and you perk up a bit. Okay, maybe there's a game here. Getting that second goal before the end of the second period, though, was huge. Because that gives the third period an entirely different context because these aren't they're not playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. The it was four one in the third period doesn't happen very often. No. So going in behind uh down by two, we've seen dozens of those comebacks in the NHL this year. This is the year where, you know, the NHL's parading as junior hockey, no lead is safe. So with that, you know, air quotation small of a lead for Pittsburgh. You have that extra motivation in the third period. We got a chance here, guys. Get back into it. And then obviously Berggren gets his. And it's a sprint because, okay, we only need the one. The Red Wing, the Penguins generously gift the Red Wings a power play with the too many men called to which the Red Wings wasted no time tying the game on. And you could just feel the energy, which was almost wasted because it Felt like that fourth goal is what finally woke the Penguins up because for the next two minutes they dominated in the Red Wings zone and the Red Wings were able to weather the storm and, you know, get the game to overtime. So uh, the detailed goals, Dylan Larkin uh, cleaned up in front for a power play goal. A Raymond shot ended up there and and Larkin did his job in the slot. We've seen him do that actually quite a bit. Um, Right place, right time. Uh, And then Joe Valeno, perfect redirect actually which was kicked off by Ben Sherratt very smartly getting the the puck into kind of the, the center lane area, faked a shot at the point, moved in. Ben Sherratt had himself a great game. That was the the best version of Ben Sherratt's kind of jump into every play kind of uh, play style. So he he stepped in, gave it to Duvalino right between the hash marks, who again had that perfect redirect, and that's how the Red Wings went into uh, the third period, only down two, they chopped that lead in half. Uh, Berggren, uh, you know, was the recipient of another Ben Chirot, a play kicked off by Ben Chirot. He got it to Soderblom out front. Uh, there was a poke check and it popped right up to Berggren, right place, right time. And then uh, Perron ties it on the power play from his, you know, quote unquote office on the left side. And then that's how the Red Wings brought it to overtime. And then in overtime, oh God. Cop and Wallman on the rush. Wallman steps up. Wallman, who had a terrible first period and was great the rest of the game, uh, especially, I mean, overtime especially, buries it, just one tap into the net, and hits the gritty. (laughs) Winds up this celebration and hits the gritty. Ken and Mick obviously just love the celebration for what it is. Ken, you know, saying what a selly was hyped, as hyped as anyone else. (laughs) <laughs> and all of us losing our minds because th- what else could be what could be the only thing that would overshadow you know a 4 nothing comeback other than this guy doing this dance on skates on opponents uh, on the opponent's ice the still picture of right when he started it where Jake Gensel was just staring at him <laughs> hang that in a museum it's, it's, it's such a ridiculous dance too and yeah. hockey players, like, I don't know, it's hard to sell you on skates. You can only do so much, right? Uh, and so you don't really see stuff like that. That It's such a conversation anytime a player does anything. How long were we talking about the Ovechkin stick on fire business? I'm pretty sure someone put a warrant out for his arrest roughly near where Dar- Don Cherry It was Don Cherry. Li- yeah, <laughs> where Don Cherry <laughs> lives. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And Red Wings fans deserve that little bit of... Uh, I did not have that on my bingo card this year. No, at the end of the year too, you could have scored big. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw a comment in the uh, a Pittsburgh forum where they were like, "Man, they grittied on us on our own ice, and we deserved it." Like, <laughs> you don't want <laughs> to get... lay down and take a gritty beating. <laughs> that hurts. You don't want a you know at best second pair defenseman doing what is a, the equivalent of a Fortnite dance on your ice. <laughs> In overtime after beating your team, don't give up a 4 nothing lead. 
it's it's like my opinion, which I know some people disagree with on bat flips in baseball. You don't want someone to uh, to to bat flip. Don't give up the homer. Simple as. This is a little bit more extreme, though. That was the Red Wings' first 4-0 comeback in 38 years. Yeah, it was 1984, and I was like, wow, that was only 20 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, funny time. uh, That's almost 40 years ago. Oh, I know. That that was the problem. I'm still, I'm just now coming around to the whole... The 80s were only like 15 years ago. Anyways, that is just the fourth. My my knees disagree with that statement. Yeah, mine did this morning too. That was just the fourth four goal comeback win in franchise history, and for a team that's nearly a hundred years old, like that is absolutely insane. Yeah, Derek Lone, Detroit Red Wings, credit to you. That was a nightmare first period where I think a lot of folks turned it off, and you couldn't really have blamed them. And that was two of the best periods of hockey you played right after. Hell of a way to come back from the holiday break. Hell of a statement win, especially after what they did against Tampa Bay. And, you know, I've used the term gutsy before. I've used the term resilient before talking about this team. That's the difference, as you were referring to earlier, Brad. That's the difference between this team and last season. A lot of the same results, a lot of the same paths forward, the points, you know, the the, the troubles. But in terms of how they're showing up differently... They don't give up. They are clawing their way back. And is it going to be pretty? Is it going to be perfect? Are they, you know, at the top of the division? No. But it's going to make a difference. And this is this is them eking out that difference. And honestly, like you said, fans deserve it. And with how streaky Pittsburgh has been this year, that extra point could be a huge difference because wouldn't be surprising if Pittsburgh's one of the wildcard teams this year. So that could be direct competition for a playoff spot that Detroit could be fighting for in April. So, you know, You can't make the playoffs in December, but you can sure as hell lose the playoffs in December. So every point, especially against, you know, potential playoff teams in the East, and obviously Pittsburgh's going to be a playoff team in the East, are massive. Credit to Ben Sherratt, had himself an excellent game. Larkin, Rasmussen, and uh, Perron as well. Really like the way that line is clicking. Um, Lots of Red Wings had really good games. And credit to Helberg. I mean, I don't know that it was necessarily on Huso, to put it lightly, the way I think it was Jason Zucker walked into the front unopposed, got around two Red, both Red Wings defensemen and, and was clear in front. Uh, but it was the right call to pull Huso. They just needed something to shake it up. But Helberg, his job was made simpler for the Red Wings uh, than definitely Huso had, but he was flawless in his in his stint. Like, he did everything he needed to do, got his own personal shutout. Uh, a lot of credit to him, and that's why he's, well, I mean, Huso is ill uh, tonight against Buffalo, but that's why he's getting the start tonight against Buffalo too. You can only play the games on your schedule, and you can only stop the puck's shot at you. And, and some of those could have went in. It's not like Pittsburgh was throwing everything in the kitchen sink at him, but he had a few tough saves that he had to make. and Sidney Crosby breakaway. And he made them. Very early. And uh, that's that's all you can ever ask of your goalie. And, you know, not to dump on a guy when he's down, but that's something Ned hasn't been doing this year. So, you know, that game last night, two really solid periods from Helberg coupled with whatever might happen tonight could m- dramatically change what the Red Wings crease looks like for the rest of the season. The Red Wings upcoming games before next episode, the Buffalo game is being played in like legitimately 45 minutes from now, the time of recording. So... Again, with the Wednesday-Thursday split, uh, we had to wedge the episode in here. So Buffalo, uh, Thursday, which will have been played by the time you listen to this, and then Saturday at home against Ottawa on New Year's Eve. Uh, And then we are going to be back at you on uh, New Year's Day in the evening. All right, some other notable Red Wings news here. Jacob Vrana getting closer to returning uh, has been sent to Grand Rapids on a conditioning stint. So he has been assigned down there, still stays on the active roster because that's how conditioning stints work, but loaned to Grand Rapids for a few games um, just to kind of get up to game speed. And presumably this will be the last step that the Red Wings have in terms of kind of getting him ready to then step back into uh, the active game lineup, which will be a huge, huge, huge boost for them. So they already had the one game uh, against Rockford and then they have um, Friday and Saturday on uh, against Milwaukee it's a home and home and then he'll be eligible to return 
for Detroit. So he'll be eligible as of, well, eligible. He already is eligible, but he will presumably be poised to return, return maybe as soon as Wednesday, January 4th against New Jersey. That'd be a sight for sore eyes. Oh God, yeah. You know, we we talked about it last episode, so I'm not going to, you know, beat it to get death again. Getting one of the best pure goal scorers in the league back uh, probably will help a team that struggles to score goals more than almost any other team in the league. Mm-hmm. F- feels like that's a that's a bit of a boost. His, in terms of raw talent, yeah, that's where he should be. Uh, Bob Kayser did a great interview with him at the uh, intermission for uh, uh, the game against Rockford last night, or at least that's when it aired. And it was really good to hear hear Verona talk. He, you know, he mentioned the positivity and and all the well wishes he received from fans, and you know, reiterated a lot of the same messages that we've heard from him that you know some things are bigger bigger than hockey, and you have to take care of yourself. And he just seems really motivated to kind of get back in. He wants to do right by the fans, and he knows uh, that you know missing games. Uh, wasn't something that he wanted. He wanted. He wants to contribute to the team's efforts. So, uh, it's all you know, pretty standard stuff and the stuff you like to hear. But easy guy to root for, um, even just on a human level, for someone to make kind of the, that tough decision. Uh, it's easy to to kind of root for him to come back and come back well. So, looking forward to seeing Jacob Verona and nice little treat for Griffins fans who have had really good players robbed from them by the Red Wings, yep. to put it lightly. So they get to see him for a few games. So we actually have some more uh, roster decision conversations to come. But before that, I want to let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never even happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. So, you know, barring anything crazy happening in this Buffalo game, Detroit has some decisions ahead of them. Robbie Fabry, who, you know, with his ACL tear was out for since last season, uh, he's been practicing and playing with the team for quite some time. And, you know, he's practically been ready, but they've, they're just playing it exceptionally safe with him, which you have to give him credit for because he's shown, shown some fragility in, in with that kind of, uh, injury. And it's not easy to get up to game speed. Philip Zadina has been out for some time. Uh, we just talked about Jacob Verona and he'll be back soon. The Red Wings went from having, you know, the opportunity to carry three goalies and have players like Austin Zarnick on the roster to now having to make some tough decisions wherein Jonathan Berggren's name might be in play, Elmer Soderblom's name might be in play, Joe Valeno's name might be in play. Uh, not that those were, are all necessarily what's going to happen or even the right decision, but uh, Detroit's going to have to make a call here or some calls here as to who's going to stay and who's going to go when... You know, at the very least, guys like Robbie Fabry and and Jacob Verana, who are top six, top nine players, uh, uh, make their way back in. So Fabry looks like the first to return. Verana probably around the same time in the same game even. Uh, January 4th is when that's expected. Obviously, that can change. But essentially, what happens? Because Detroit is currently carrying Huso, Helberg, and Nedeljkovic. You know, we we talked a lot about what's going to happen to Ned, and so far they didn't choose to waive him. They just haven't played him. There's going to have to be some tough calls. Oh, yeah. We talked about this at length before the season, and now this is kind of the first time it's really coming to a head with all the injuries. It never really presented this problem. But again, it's it's a good problem to have. If you're not scratching good players, it means you don't have enough good players. That's the reality of the NHL. Who's it going to be? I think it could vary on a night-to-night, week-to-week basis. 
all the information that we might need in order to know who's going to be scratched when these guys come back might not have happened yet. It might be the next two to three games that determine entirely, you know. Right now, there's no good argument, like none whatsoever, to not have Berggren in the lineup. If he has a really bad next three games, he's the might be the first one to go. Like, There's no way to know. Based on what we know now, the Red Wings have three players who are waiver-exempt, which would be the first three that would immediately jump to your mind. But I think two of them have firmly established themselves as tw- top 12 forwards on this team, and that's Berggren for you know all the obvious reasons. And Joe Valeno, who's on a bit of a heater right now, especially for a fourth liner. I think he's on like a four or five game point streak right now. And he's, you know, a good 200 foot player. Soderblom looks like he could use some refinement to his games. So I think he's probably the odd man out when the first guy comes back. And then it comes down to literally, I think, anybody else. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but it is game to game. Lalone could use it as a breather for some guys who are struggling. He could use it as a wake-up call for other guys who are struggling for different reasons. You know, Adam Erty's been pretty underwhelming lately, so maybe this is the kind of kick in the ass he needs. You know, we haven't talked a ton about Pew Suter since we actually uh, praised him a handful of episodes ago. Um, maybe that that's a Kickstarter for him. We've seen the lone scratch him first game of the season. So I think Suter's been great. I think he's no, he's a board for me. He's he's been good, but someone has to like someone who shouldn't be scratched on an NHL team is going to be. That's reality because that's just with Fabry and Verona coming back. Zadina when he comes back might not even draw into the lineup. Tyler Bertuzzi, who knows what happens when he comes back because he's got to kick someone presumably out of the top six. So there, there's a lot, a lot that has to still happen in order for Lalone to make a decision. And like I said, it, it might just have to be very reactionary. And I don't mean reactionary in the negative connotation. It's who had a bad game. Okay, it's their turn to sit. Yeah, the... I agree with you on Soderblom, especially, you know, there are a lot of plays or shifts where I'm like, yeah, Soderblom is doing enough to stay in the NHL, but there's certainly times where I'm like, "Mm, that was either a mistake or, uh, that's just, you know, not necessarily a bad play, but just with his legs, that shift or his positioning, you can tell he just needs a little bit more NHL experience. And that's the most obvious. You move him up and down as you need to Detroit and Grand Rapids aren't too far apart. If there's a little bit of yo-yoing between the two cities, that's fine. Um, Soderblom for sure. I'm not moving. I agree. I'm not moving Berggren until he gives you a reason to. And so far he's been fantastic. Uh, I am not even considering Suter. Ernie, yes, there's the whole penalty killing angle. I know Max Boltman on the Athletic Detroit raised that. So you need someone to step in because he's a pretty prominent penalty killer for the Red Wings. Uh, I'm not so married to the idea of, you know, you have to keep him on there for the penalty killing. I think a lot of other players could at least try and it shouldn't be moving the needle that much. But, you know, at the end of the day, are you really going to be carrying three goalies? No, they can't. This is the point we talked about when Helberg was brought back. They had lots of time to make a decision, and they had lots of options, and they wisely used it. Helberg got into games. You know, uh, there was the conditioning stint for him. Huso's been carrying the load. Delkovich got a couple looks. You know, fair or unfair, I think to this point, we have a pretty clear idea of what the goalie hierarchy is in Detroit. Tonight could change that. You know, goaltending is a fickle thing. But, yeah, is it worth carrying three goalies if that means you have to send down, you know, a Berggren, a Valeno, Wave, and Ernie? No, it is not. There could be a trade as well. We've only really talked about waivers and scratching. There could be a trade involved as well. That's true. And I, well, for obvious reasons with the kind of players that the Red Wings have coming into the deadline, there's going to be a lot of talk of trade for Detroit no matter what. But that, yeah, it could come sooner than March. Um, It would resolve some. And there's one obvious point that I forgot to make because all the players coming back for the Red Wings are forwards. They've been carrying eight defensemen. 
Hag or Lindstrom could go at any point and have basically no impact on this team. Uh, not not to be overly harsh of them, but neither of them are no uh, impact or even regular NHLers. So, you know, you free up a goalie spot, you free up a defense spot, that brings two forwards back. Then when, you know, the third forward comes back, then may- maybe then you make the really hard decision. They could also make the decision to continue just um, scratching Hag and Lindstrom to get someone like Soderblom reps in Grand Rapids. Someone still has to be scratched without being sent down, right? So, you know, Soderblom's probably the first domino to fall because he's waiver exempt because he looks like he probably could use a stint in Grand Rapids. So let's say that's the first one. Worth mentioning that Robert Hag's on um, IR right now. I don't know... I, I would like to see them find whatever avenue they can without being too disruptive. Like, I'm not saying, you know, give Adam Ernie away from nothing. Not that I'm terribly upset if he gets, you know, moved in a trader as filler or something like that. Uh, but I would like to, I would like them to explore any avenue they can to keep Ned without the waving. I think he'll clear. I still think he'd clear based on how he's played in his contract this season. But I still think the solution with Ned is to see it through, just to see. There's just too much talent there that you have seen in the past to just kind of give up on it. Um, That might not be a fair thing to say to a coach and a GM who have watched him play the way he has this year because at at some point you need to get something out of him. Uh, And like you said earlier, Brad, you you can only stop the shots and play the games that you're given, and and Ned hasn't done that. Um, But I still would like to see them stretch themselves a little bit to make it work. I know that gets messy, and that's it's not best practice to be carrying three goalies like that, but Unless you're absolutely certain that he's going to clear waivers, then I'm still kind of puckering a little bit when they, if they do choose to to waive or move him. So yeah, like you said, Brad, they have options. There's there's paths they can take here. They're not in a complete bind, but it's not going to get easier. And unless other injuries or, or roster moves or whatever come up, like you know, uh, Verona and Fabry are just to start. It'll be Bertuzzi eventually. Zadina's not a big threat to push someone out of the lineup, but they'll probably want to get another look at him again this year. At some point, they are going to be tough decisions. But hey, good problems to have that they haven't had in the past. So we're going to hear plenty about that. Like you said, Brad, uh, the Buffalo game, the Ottawa game is going to, those two are going to inform a lot on what the Red Wings are going to decide to do at every position. Uh, let's get into some other news until then. Amadeus Lombardi, who's you know been fantastic since before the Red Wings drafted him, has been fantastic all year since uh, being made a fourth-round pick of the Detroit Red Wings in the 2022 draft. Uh, 45 points, 21 goals, 24 assists, and 32 games played for the Flint Firebirds. Signs his ELC with the Red Wings officially under contract. Kid's been electric through and through. Um, nice next step for him, and, and looking poised to be the Red Wings' next uh, later round find joining that class of prospects who were very promising that weren't necessarily highly touted picks. His development path was so weird. He was such a wild card when he was drafted, but when you get into the later rounds of the draft, these are the types of gambles that pay off occasionally. You know, he did not make the OHL as a 16-year-old, lost his 17-year-old season in the OHL to COVID, so he basically went into the league as an 18-year-old rookie. He was almost a point per game. The Red Wings said, okay, small window, but we'll take a flyer on him in the first, fourth round. And then all he does is reward them by continuing to improve at a very rapid pace. You know, he's an undersized forward who's not the fastest skater in the world, so he's still got an uphill climb, but, you know, last I checked, he was top five in OHL scoring, so he is doing everything he can to live up to his end of the deal it's that kind of capitalizing on that missed year due to covid is something that we talked about a lot heading into the draft and i remember you saying brad i think lombardi was actually one of the players that you talked about even before the red wings had drafted uh and and we kind of primed him as one of those potential capitalize on this guy because he missed so much time candidates it's cool to see that kind of transpire and come to uh come to fruition um and you hope that it continues to be rather than, you know, a guy overperforming uh, a, a diamond in the rough or maybe something that was, uh, wasn't was so clear at the time. But maybe on the track to to start pushing for Detroit or at least higher up in the Red Wing system sooner rather than later. 
joins the ranks of you know Carter Mazer types, which have been uh, surprising and great since they were drafted. And him signing his ELC now, you know, might be a hint that if Flint doesn't go very far in the OHL this year, maybe he gets a cup of tea if Grand Rapids uh, is still kicking around at the end of the year. Maybe just see what he does at the other level. Because, um, again, because of his missed year, because he was an 18-year-old rookie in the OHL, this is now his, you know, for a lot of higher-end prospects, what would be his last season in the OHL. So if he can get a, call it audition, with Grand Rapids at the end of the year, he might be a Griffin next year. Like, that is very much on the table. So... You know, his weird development path could get even weirder, could get even more accelerated. They might choose to send him back to his OA year, but getting him under contract, getting him to his ELC now does open up options. All right. Further Red Wings contract news. The most minor of updates, uh, but Pierre Lebrun did his uh, unrestricted pending UFA updates and uh, had a note about Dylan Larkin. Lebrun's opinion is that there hasn't been much progress, but sees this as both sides have... Uh, Space to move, let's call it, and uh, thinks it'll get done eventually. The only actual material update was given by uh, Pat Brisson of CAA, which reps Larkin, who said uh, discussions are ongoing. So I know there is some kind of speculation as to whether the Red Wings and Larkin just aren't talking about it till after the season. That doesn't seem to be the case. They're still chipping away at it, even if it seems like nothing is imminent. I said before the season, and I, I try to be a man of my word, I said I, I set a deadline for when I would officially start worrying. We're not there yet. Oh, I'm worried. Oh, no, my deadline's in three days, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so everything's breezy. We're fine. Next episode, we might need to revisit this discussion, but right now, I'm good. Steve Eisenman, uh, if you're into giving late late Christmas gifts or New Year's gifts, I know some people do that, this would be a fantastic way to kick off 2023. You have a few days between the New Year's Eve game and then your next game on the 4th. Perfect time to do it. Nice little pick-me-up after I'm sure everyone needs to shake off some uh, New Year's Eve rust on the 1st. You wait till the 2nd even. Do it while you're watching the Winter Classic together. We need some advertising for the New Year's Eve game, and I don't want to spend one minute worrying this year. So if, if they want to announce it before the New Year's Eve game, I think that's the sweet spot right there. Perfect. All right, uh, some NHL and uh, hockey news in general. <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs, not a big story. I know a lot was made of it because it's the Maple Leafs and obviously mountains and molehills and all that, but I uh, got fined, what was it, 100 grand for traveling essentially, what, two hours early? Not even. Literally not even. They, uh, <laughs> they like to go to uh, their road games the night before rather than 5 a.m., which would Fair. have been a typical flight. Honestly, I'm the exact same way. If I have a long drive ahead of me, I'd rather do it late at night than early the next morning because I am a zombie in the morning. Uh, but you're not allowed to travel on the 26th. It's a holiday break. There's some nuance to the rule, but still. Feels like, as a league, where every game there's a road team, if nobody's allowed to travel on the 26th, you probably shouldn't schedule games on the 27th. Call me crazy, but that that feels like a bit of a complication and a piss off for the road teams in that circumstance. Yeah, again, there's there's nuance to the travel rules and everything, but regardless, it's all pretty clear. And it was funny kind of seeing some arguments pop up about it. I'm like, this is part of the CBA. It's collectively bargained. That's what the PA wanted and put forward. And, you know, I personally agree. I think you should have the holiday break. I like the roster freeze. I like that the the players get the holidays off. Um, and then Sheldon Keefe, like I think right after it was announced that he had a $25,000 fine for abusive officials. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at that and just thought that was um, a nothing story until oh, I was listening to something today. Uh, Sean, Sean McIndoe was actually giving some backstory to that fine, which made it a lot more interesting than it would seem at its face. Because the play that Sheldon Keefe lost his mind on was the Blues scored a goal. Keefe felt the Blues should have had a penalty shortly before for kind of like a pick play. And the ref in that game, who he lost it on, was Wes McCauley. Rewind to Game 7 of the Tampa-Toronto series last, uh, last year. 
Who was one of the refs that game? Wes McCauley. What happened in that game? The Leafs had a goal waved off because there was a penalty called on an eerily similar pick play. So if I'm Sheldon Keefe, that's the best $25,000 I've ever spent. Now, I don't know if McCauley was the ref who called or didn't call either scenario. I have I don't know the situation in that much detail, but that would be something I would hold on to for a year. Like you, you take a goal off the board for me in game seven, and then you don't call it on, call it in our favor or identically. And it hurts us the next year. $25,000 well spent. Just for the, the record, that was the most obvious interference penalty. Not the most obvious, but that was a, a pretty clear-cut interference penalty in the my mind. Seven one or yeah. The Game 7-1? Saint- yes, I agree. I agree. But I do understand, and I can empathize with what you said. Like, if you're Sheldon Keefe, you're not, it is not your, your responsibility to be objective. It's your responsibility to care about your team and make sure that, yeah, you're getting your call. I, I mean, it is what it is, whether or not you choose to take your $25,000 fine. A peon like me, where that would be quite a substantial sum of money, I'm personally not doing it but you absolutely can see why that happened yeah and you know i think that's been one of the biggest complaints red wings fans have had for the last two years with especially with like the hitting from behind stuff against detroit we're like we don't care how you call it just call it the same always please you know consistency with nhl refing is one of the biggest issues beyond game management but it's like if you're calling it against those guys and you call it against us totally fair if one goes and the other doesn't, what the hell are you doing? All right. Uh, World Juniors, a quick update coming into this episode. The tournament is ongoing, but there have already been the typical storylines, which is uh, the two two of the main teams in terms of uh, media focus, two of the big three teams, let's call it, uh, that are you can just playing say this team. Czechoslovakia is running a train on North America right now. Yeah. <laughs> so... Canada lost to Czechia or the Czech Republic and the United States lost to Slovakia. Both games, both teams, which were, you know, really should be powerhouses, uh, looked disjointed, had their own kind of struggles in terms of how they played. Uh, Canada's annual tradition of having terrible, god-awful goaltending and then playing some hero puck after and obviously not getting anything done. Uh, The States were... Honestly, credit to Slovakia. They played a really great game. Oh, they did. And, you know, I don't think we're giving Slovakia and Czechia enough credit. They are good teams. Like, oh, they're really good. Especially Czechia. They took Sweden to overtime again today. They, they've they got some real players on that team between, you know, Sfosil, uh Shala, who's a potential Red Wings pick, projected right in their range in the first round this year. Uh, Yuri Kulic. They're, they're a good team. They're a legitimately good team. Even Slovakia, Dalibor Dvorsky's potentially another first round pick in the Red Wings uh, range who who's looked phenomenal so far. I just I just love the controversies around this time of year in these tournaments though. It's fun. It is this like week between Christmas and you know just after New Year's, it's the best time of year because A, a lot of people kind of hopefully get some time off. Even if not, you just there's a vibe of of winding down and relaxing, but just watching the World Juniors and having that be the only thing that actually materially matters, and just getting way too upset about a, a tournament of <laughs> essentially kids playing hockey, it's hysterical, and I'll never give it up. Oh, people! Did Canada you... gave us a lot of, of Boomer versus Zoomer content in the first game. Oh, oh did they ever? It, I, you know what? It was. The fact that Detroit or Detroit, the fact that Canada got outplayed by Czechia the way they did, and all the coverage was talking about the Michigan attempts, and I was like, guys, there's two Michigan attempts. There was the head shot for the five minute major that everyone lost their mind about. Uh, um, that's there was the common was. rational and the uh, yeah, the yeah. other side. Yeah, um, and then obviously losing the game, it was uh, mayhem online. It's just the first, uh, just the first round. It's round robin right now. It's not even into the knockout games. Yeah, I it's love like, it. I just love the Trevor Zegers is what batting like eighty percent on Michigan's in the NHL, and then people are getting offended. Kids are trying it against junior goalies. Like, uh, did you actually see Zegers's comment on it? No. <laughs> His entire response basically boiled down to, 
okay, do it better. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, they just didn't get up quick enough. The goalies read it. Anyhow, uh, I always love a, a World Juniors where it's not, you know, a typical steamroll of the countries everyone thinks is going to win, especially countries that don't get the uh, appreciation they should, like Czechia, like Slovakia, like you said, Brad. They're, they're legitimately good hockey teams. Um, Switzerland has two overtime wins. Like, that's fantastic. I love that. I love a shakeup in terms of uh, how the first round goes. Uh, personally, you like to see the team with the most, you know, high-end prospects go later on because you kind of get a look into potentially future NHLers, but it's good fun. Uh, how many points did Connor Bedard have against Germany? Seven. Seven. Mm. Hell of a comeback game after the Czechia game for, for Canada. I, I think the entire nation looked at the schedule after the Czechia game, saw Germany and just went, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. Oh, Canada got lucky though. Because imagine they had, you know, Czechia that loss and then they had Sweden right after. Or oh, something. yeah. Yeah, no. They they got very lucky with that schedule and both Canada and the States need to uh, need to buckle up and not kind of let those, those losses repeat. Uh, whoever has been keeping track of the game store, game score analytics for the tournament, uh, posted um, this afternoon where everybody, obviously Connor Bedard was at the top. But if you scroll down about 10 to 15 players, Redmond Savage. Yeah. Red Savage. Goal and assist so far? Yeah, Red Savage having a pretty good tournament so far. The only Red Wings prospect in the tournament. So that's a, that's a very good development. Okay. Uh, any other uh, notes before jumping into overtime? No, I have nothing in front of me. We at some point have to talk about actually uh, Pascal Zito has tra- been traded twice this season. And someone actually sent me a note. They're like, did Zito get traded again? I'm like, yes, it's been in my notes for many episodes. It's just never made it to air. We'll eventually cover that in detail. But yeah, he has been traded twice. All right. Uh, for now, we are going to jump into overtime, which on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is probably brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, you get access to things like the uh, Patreon exclusive uh, overtime episodes that are uh, recorded. Any questions that don't make it to the main episode still get answered. We let Lewis have some fun, record those uh, overtime episodes. Uh, you get access to every single giveaway uh, that we do uh, automatically entered. And we are actually giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The majority of them going straight to Winged Wheel Podcast patrons. Uh, and you get a bunch of other benefits. You can join the Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord and a lot more. So patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Actually, quick quick note. Uh, I should say about, I'd say quarterly or maybe, you know, biannually, uh, someone sends a note or they, they leave a comment and they're like, it's really uncomfortable how you guys seem to hate each other. And like, you just say it so openly and it's kind of awkward to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Was that you? <laughs> yeah, I, I did it last time. It's usually actually me because that's, you guys know my sense of humor. Um, we don't trust me with the amount of time we spent sitting in the same room. We don't hate each other. I promise you. It's just think of it like brothers rib- ribbing each other. Yeah, this is uh Hockey players, yes. hockey players having fun. No, we we all very much uh, are uh, enjoy each other's company. I think Evan tolerates us actually. Yeah, we- that's right. <laughs> Shut okay. up. Let's uh, let's take some questions here uh, from our overtime thread. Our patrons, uh, Connor Murphy says, "Will Detroit have any thirty goal scorers this season?" Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna say no. Well, three of the four top candidates for it are either not scoring a ton of goals or haven't been playing. Uh, so basically all the hopes ride on Larkin. Larkin with 13, Piranha with 12, Kublik with 10, and Kublik's been cold lately. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Larkin's not going to have, he's going to have an uphill climb. I know he's been productive even since being injured, but you know, there's some kind of attrition going on there. Maybe Peron. I'm going to say no here. Uh, Stan Olson says, is there any unwritten code about Jersey numbers? I had an old coworker that hated the idea of goalies wearing a number over 35. Also, how come we only see uh, goalies wear one as a single digit number? A lot of it's tradition and a lot of it could be superstition. Um, you know, this player wore that, so I got to wear this or this player wore that. So I can't wear this. There's a lot of weird stuff with Jersey numbers, but when you look around the league now, a lot of that seems to be going away. 
um, you know, there's one of my employees at work actually is a forward and mm-hmm. wears number three. I love it. Uh, objectively, it's fine. I have no problem with it. We give her shit for it all the time because it's hilarious to us. Um, but no, yeah, it, it used to be a thing more so than it is now. You know, Miko Koskinen is a goalie who wore 19 last year. Andre Vasilevsky wears 88. Brock Besser's a forward, wears number six. Like, yes, there are a lot of very weird, dumb things with numbers in the NHL, but they're very slowly starting to die off. Lula Morello is is a uh, one of the last vestiges of of those who are really keen on the old school, almost New York Yankees type traditions. Everyone clean shaven, no one with numbers over whatever until they deserve it. I agree. I'd like to see some different numbers. Um, I like weird ones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm wearing 79 this year, so I definitely can say I'm breaking with tradition. <laughs> but look at Team Canada's junior teams right now. They are a, an exclusively low number team, you know, because that's how it was back in the day. You know, teams would have no jersey numbers beyond 20 because most teams back then would just produce jerseys generically just up to a certain number and then hand them out and... You know, people nowadays take some deep meaning behind that when there never really was. So, yeah, it is what it is, and I'm I'm glad it's dying out because I like I like the weird numbers. Like I love that the NHL's next superstar wears number ninety six. Uh, Big gritty energy says, "Why is Seattle doing so well? I thought they were not good." Or actually, he said, "Why is Seattle doing so good? I thought they were not good." Uh, also, same question, but it's the opposite, and it's about Winnipeg. Seattle's. I mean, a lot of that's driven, you know, players like Matty Beniers playing like how he's been playing. They're getting, you know, not completely caved goaltending this season. They've made some market improvements and they've they've capitalized. Uh, Allison Lucan, who we just had on the show, really articulated this very well. So we encourage you to go back and listen to that. But uh, yeah, they've been coming on. Uh, they've taken the step they've needed to in the, at the positions they needed to. Their goaltending um, is probably below average this year, was the, which is a massive upgrade from the horrific that it was last year. Yeah. Their special teams have made some improvement, and they, they struggled to score last year, and they've added a few guys who are helping with that. It's, you know, just a case of minor improvements in a lot of places. Winnipeg, uh, Hellebuck? Like, the team's doing very well, but Hellebuck is the the premier example if you want to go by what the heart trophy is like most valuable player to his team it's hard to argue against hellebuck right now uh also said p.s my wife surprised me this christmas with tickets to winged wheel podcast night i've never been to detroit and i've never met evan so i'm very excited yeah i won't be there (laughs) i'm just kidding i'll be there (laughs) he says that but I don't know. Are the Masters on this time? <laughs> yeah, that is. Is that the same weekend again? Yes. <laughs> so Evan's not going to be there. <laughs> I didn't win tickets to the Masters this year, so I won't be at the Masters. All right. So uh, when I just told you guys that we all like each other, um, that might have been a lie. The daggers that Evan just shot at me when he told me that. It's literally the only weekend I care about the entire year. <laughs> oh, Christmas God. can be abolished from the calendar as long as the Masters is still there. Well... You're working, buddy. And you can meet, <laughs> you can meet Reed. Uh, Hockey Town Racing Academy says, what's got to happen for Evan to hit the gritty at the next Winged Wheel podcast night? I have no idea. If uh, I was, uh, if I wasn't up as late as I was last night, I could come up with something good. So I'll leave it up to you two to think of the brainstorm ideas. He gets master's tickets for the Sunday. Yep, oh, no. I'll, oh, yeah, we'll, I'll do it then. <laughs> we'll, we'll set a Jamie Daniels Foundation fundraising goal and Evan will hit the gritty. You'll I have to practice. I don't even know how. Yeah. Well, you, I'm I'm old and I have no <laughs> dancing ability. Your hip mobility is not what it used to be. It's horrendous. Uh, Krangis McBasketball says, true or false for the panel, if the Wings won the 2020 draft lottery, Alexi Lafreniere would undoubtedly be a Detroit Red Wing today. True. True, right? Yeah, he was, people, when when players don't pan out to fully what people expect, revisionist history always kicks in and people forget how just utterly dominant Lafreniere was in the three years leading up to his draft. I, uh, obviously the story here is Lafreniere scratched for the Rangers and I understand that not all of that is on the Rangers, but between him and Kako, that to me still just screams 
a situation where it's a pretty healthy mix of maybe mismanagement of the players or not the right opportunities for the players and uh, the players themselves not doing what they need to do. It's an awkward team. The Rangers are a really weird team in, in space and time. Like, how are you turning this rebuild around so much? Like, you get these high-end picks, you move up to get these high-end picks, but you still have premier players in your top six. Like, that's not, it's not a lot of opportunity there. Players have sometimes succeed with sheltered opportunities, and that didn't happen here, but what has to change? You know, Gerard Gallant, people like it or not, he's on the hot seat. I would be, I would think that they would move on from Gallant before they would move on from Lafreniere. I would hope that they don't, because I would certainly love a reclamation project with that much talent. Like Lafreniere, don't, don't mix us up. Like even if Lafreniere does end up ultimately being a bust, you have to take a swing on him if he's available right now at the right price. Like he still has a world of talent that could be unlocked. It's way too early to give up on a player like that in my mind. What would you give up for him in a trade? One for one with Zidane, you know? That much, just, they, right? just, they just need new scenario, new place. You know, that's all it is. Say the Red Wings are picking 16th overall this year. Do you do it? Uh, yeah. I would. I think I would too. But I think that's about my ceiling. I don't have enough faith that, you know, someone on Twitter put it best today. After three years of this kind of production for a number one overall pick, either the player sucks or the coach sucks and there's no... In, like, there's there's no weird circumstance. Someone is screwing up here. So how much are you betting on that it's the coach? It's a bit too black and white for my liking. This deep in, like, he's two and a half years into his career. Yeah. This is around, especially for a forward, you're starting to get in the territory of we know what this player is. All right. Uh, last comment here. I know it's a bit of a shorter episode, but uh, we have a game to cover. The Red Wings are dropping the puck about right now with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, last comment here from Cody Stark says, that was a fun match. Rasmussen on the draws was an under underrated MVP of the night. Good shout. Yeah, that whole line did great and uh, Rasmussen as well. Rasmussen, he missed what was essentially an open, not an open net, but a really great opportunity across the front. Um, the Red Wings still ended up tying the game after, but I was happy to see that they did because of plays like that. He, he's been, he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, also, Baby Stark number two due in June. I'm scared out of my mind and excited all at once. Cody, congratulations. Man, that is massive news. Brad, any tips on being a, a, a twice father? No. <laughs> Get a puppy? <laughs> the It's like all the same stuff as one child, except somehow you have triple the amount of work. People said that to me before, and I thought they were joking. No, no, it's that's very literal. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go cover this uh, this Buffalo game. Uh, enjoy the episode. Enjoy the 4 nothing comeback. Enjoy the gritty, uh, Jake Wallman gritty replays. Thank you all for a phenomenal 2022. We hope you have a safe, uh, safe and happy New Year celebration. We'll be back with you in 2023. Until then, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our name, uh, or sorry, our, the sponsors of this episode, uh, NordVPN, our listeners, new and old, if you want to find a way to support the show that isn't Patreon, leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. It's huge, huge, huge for us. You know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google, wherever. Uh, it means a lot. And we'd like to thank all of our patrons. Uh, we hope you received your your Christmas holiday cards. Um, our name level supporters on Patreon: Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver for the number sixty nine Cry and Ryan Hannes and Sam Jamathong. Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, uh, hashtag LHRW. Yeah, you mess up one hashtag and they never, never let you forget it. Yep. Croner's left knee. Brandon M., Carl Bertana, Nanoluski. Change your shirt, no free ads, Brad. Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, uh, or Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe. Denny's Gamer Girl, who, <laughs> uh, brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Denny's uh, Gamer Girl. Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight, Probert, Red Hot, Ronick, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, uh, Joseph Berry, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, who is a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Michael. Nadelkovich, goalie number one. Uh, thank you to all of our new patrons. Uh, uh, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, 
Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, hashtag LHRW. Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, uh, Ben Barron, hashtag LHRW, proud member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, Big Gritty Energy, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl Thames, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zidiz Nuts, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Jobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., loyal soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ricky Bong Rips, uh, Servo, who's a brand new uh, patron. Welcome, Servo, and thank you so much for the support. The Hodag uh, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so very much, and we will see you in 2023. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.